Hello and welcome into Jam Session. Glad to have whoever you are listening to us. Jam Session is Matt McLaren and Jean-Jacques Taylor. We're two guys who used to do a radio show on ESPN Radio in Dallas, Texas. We now do this podcast. We talk a lot about the Dallas Cowboys, other Dallas sports teams, and just our interests in Dallas, nightlife, stories, beer, all kinds of things. Glad to have you. Thanks for listening. Let's get going. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored as always by Greening Law, the personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you will have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been awaiting has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What's up, people? How are you today? <laughs> I would say that I hope we're all doing very good. It's been a beautiful weekend, at least here. Was it beautiful in Dallas this weekend? Yeah, trap down, top down, gorgeous. And that's the way to do it, man. I'm the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 364, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. We got a lot to get into, a lot of little tidbits from around the world of sports and the world of randomness. I mean, we've got men's and women's college basketball. We got the Rangers. We got the Mavs who, God, it, it, the Mavs are the body at the end of a mob movie that is in the trunk and you hear it moaning and you're like, man, I thought we killed this thing already. And you're just waiting for somebody to come with the gun and just put it point blank in the head to finish it off. That's the Mavs right now. But yeah, we'll, told, yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into that. Because we've got to tell you about Greening Law. We always start off letting you guys know about that. And, and again, you never know. It, it was happened to me, man. This was, God, it was almost two years ago. Coming up, it was 21 months ago when I had my car accident. And it happened over the weekend. And on Monday morning, some of you may be listening to this going, I had a car accident this weekend. It wasn't even my fault. Guy ran a red light. A truck did whatever, ran me off the road. Your first call on Monday morning needs to be to Greening Law because that's what they expertise in. That's what they excel in. Greening Law handles personal injury claims and they do it and they find things to help you against these insurance companies that, quite frankly, I don't know how the layman would ever have a clue to fight against these guys. I, I, I went with them. I had a phenomenal experience. And if you find yourself in that situation, you need to give them a call. No, I don't think there's any doubt about that based on um, what Matt has told us about them over the last couple of years. It's the thing about greening law is whenever you get in those situations, what do we always know? We always know it's going to be a long, tedious, tough fight with somebody else's insurance company. You know, it can be intimidating. You know, they're going to be threatening. You know, they're going to be asking you all these questions that you got to provide answers and information to. And you can either try to do that yourself or you can have somebody just as big, as bad as the other person's insurance company, probably better work for you. And that's greening law. They hold your hand through this process. They walk you through it. They tell you when to turn left, when to turn right, when to jump, when to stop, when to stay. And then as Matt will tell you, they set up all these appointments for you to make sure that your body's healing while they handle the fight. Um, so if you're involved in some kind of situation like that, an accident that's not at the crib, pick up the phone, man. Give them a call, 972-934-8900. Tell them the details of your situation and pray that they bring you on as a client. That's exactly right. Jacques just gave you the number. It's easy. It's free. The consultation could change your life. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. Not a lot of Cowboys notes, but the one note that we do have, just to throw out there about the Cowboys, because we had, we had talked about this last week when the NFL approved that you could wear the number zero and Micah Parsons had put out there on Twitter that he might switch from 11 to zero and be agent zero, which sounded great. And you could market it and it makes sense for a guy like that. But then you started wondering, like, man, that that 11, as impactful as he has been in, in the NFL the first two years. And the way that it works is if you decide to change numbers, you have to buy all the 11 jerseys that are in existence that have been put into stores. 
And so I kind of wonder maybe if something happened, because you got to think a lot of people are wearing my, I mean, that has got to be a fairly decent selling jersey. Um, I read somewhere, I can't tell you where, that uh, he probably would have had to pay like a couple million dollars to buy all the inventory that's out there with number 11 on it that's already been done in terms of jerseys. Yeah. And, and you kind of wonder if Micah kind of somebody threw that out there. Maybe he was just joking about switching to zero to begin or, with. Who knows? Or, or maybe he was like, damn, that might be cool. And he really thought about it. And then went and did the numbers like, damn, I don't know if it's $2 million yeah, cool. Exactly. And so there will be a cowboy wearing the number zero. It will not be Micah Parsons, but J. Ron Curse has let it be known. He will switch to the number zero. And that makes sense because... I'm sure Curse has some jerseys out there. There's obviously some around AT&T Stadium and the pro shops around Texas, I would imagine. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's not nearly the volume of inventory for Curse jerseys as there is for Micah Parsons jerseys. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think, I mean, he's not even like, like let's be, and this is no shade on him because obviously he's a terrific player. But um, where do you think he ranks in jersey sales? I mean, just on the Cowboys alone, I, I wouldn't, there's got to be I'm trying to think where I would put him well see and this is now like coming out of last year because I bet people were still buying Zeke jerseys you know CeeDee Lamb's gonna have a ton Dak obviously has a gazillion I bet there's some Schultz jersey wearers that are around there I would actually go out and and say Dak and Parsons would be the top two Lamb would be three I bet Tank has more jerseys sold than Kersh Leighton Van Der Esch has more jerseys sold than Kersh right Trayvon Diggs would have more uh, yeah, Trayvon would have more. Man, I, you know what? He maybe he's. I, I don't know that he'd be in the top yeah. ten. That's what I'm saying. Then you'd have Tyron. Because yeah. there's still some leftover jerseys. There's Tyron. There's Zach Martin. God, yeah, that's and right. That might that might round it out. But he's he's in the point where I could bet. I bet he could get whatever inventory was out there for five digits. Yeah, where it's not too bad for him. Yeah, because and he's a name to me. Like Micah Parsons is a jersey. Along with Dak, like you, you could go to some store in Idaho that sells jerseys. I guarantee you Micah Parsons would be in there. I don't know that J. Ron Curse would be. Like, like, obviously, the places around Dallas carry most of the Cowboys players. If you want one, you could probably get it. But outside of that, I don't know, you know, I don't know that you're going into a random store in a random city and J. Ron Curse has a jersey in there, but Micah Parsons probably does. Right, 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 right. But that's the Cowboys that's news. True. So there you go. That was exciting. The other thing, man, and I got to tell you, I'm stoked because I have watched, I watched half of the game on Saturday. I watched the entire game on Thursday. And that, of course, is the Texas Rangers who have opened up the baseball season with a record through two games for the Rangers. They have scored 27 runs. No other team in baseball through two games has scored more than 19 runs. And that's the Dodgers who have actually played three games. Damn. So the Texas Rangers in two games, I mean, 27 runs. And that was wild because opening day, man. Oh, yeah, because we recorded the podcast that morning because I wanted to watch the game that afternoon. So DeGrom comes out. And I got to tell you, that first inning, I'm like, oh, my God, we have an ace. He strikes out the side (laughs) like this dude is touching 100 with regularity like it's nothing for him. Did you see that stat where all of last year in 162 games in 2022, Rangers pitchers hit 100 twice all year and Jacob deGrom threw five in the first inning? That's the difference, man, between (laughs) Jacob deGrom and the guys. Yeah, you know, the guys that the Rangers were running out there last year, bro. It ain't complicated. I mean, absolutely fantastic, man. Just absolutely. So you're, you're, you're stoked about that. And then all of a sudden, you know, and, and I thought he was, he was doing well. He, he made a mistake pitch, I think, in the second inning where he left the ball up and the guy just happened to crush it for a home run. And then he had those back-to-back triples, which a couple of that was just kind of an unlucky break of, I mean, the ball was almost foul. It, it was disheartening. Three and two-thirds innings into his Rangers career, he's out of the game and he gives up five earned runs, and you sit here and you go, okay, this is a dude who, in his first appearance ever as a Ranger, gave up more extra base hits in a game than he ever gave up in his entire career before this, and he had made like 209 starts. (laughs) And I thought, well, here we go, typical. You get this great dude from the Rangers, you come to Texas, and somehow you can't pitch. (laughs) And I thought, man, at 5-0, that game's 5-0 Philadelphia. DeGrom's been chased. 
And I'm sitting there watching it going, man, this is a real bummer. Like I was stoked for this year. This is such a bummer. And then the fourth inning comes around. And, and the bets ignite. The Rangers go bonkers and score nine runs in the bottom of the fourth. And all of a sudden, opening day is back. And here come the Texas Rangers. And, you know, they won that first game. They put up 11 runs. And then they won on Saturday. They put up 16 runs. So far, I mean, yeah, would you have liked DeGrom to have not given up five? Sure. But he, he, he's healthy. He had some nasty stuff. Evaldi went out yesterday on Saturday, and he was really, really good. The bullpens looked solid. The lineup is crushing it. I mean, I know it's only two games in, but, dude, Philadelphia is a team that played in the World Series last year, and some people picked to win the World Series this year. Yeah, it's, it's, to me, that's a little thing. Like, it's good that they get off to a good start. You know, they're going to win the series. That's a good start, however it ends up, although now you do want to sweep. Uh, but the Phillies are a well-respected team. They're a good team. They'll be there at the end, uh, especially when Bryce Harper gets back. But, you know, for a team that's been a losing organization, these types of wins matter. It doesn't determine the course of the season. It just makes – like last year we talked all year. Like Sim, Simeon and uh, the shortstop got off to – you know, Kyle Seager got off to just dreadful starts. Yeah. Well, now they're off to good starts. And it just puts a whole different vibe on the team because to me it's like can you get out of April, you know, over 500 and in the race. And yeah. then it's kind of like the first inning or the first quarter. Now the game, now the season settled down. Everybody's kind of, kind of into it, and you're still there, as opposed to being seven games out when May first hits. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, last year they they started two and nine. Yeah, and they're two and zero oh this year, and you know we'll see. I guess Andrew Heaney Sunday night baseball. By the time all of you guys listen to this, this will have already happened. But Sunday night baseball tonight, and then Gray and Perez will go next week, and. It's encouraging, man, and, and, and they're fun to watch. And I got to tell you, you know, I, I, I follow spring training, but I don't, I don't watch spring training games. You know, right. but, but I, I'll read like what Evan Grant's putting out or Levi Weaver with The Athletic, and I follow along who's in camp and how are they looking in spring and all this. And, but I don't watch the games. So my first exposure to the new rules of baseball was on Thursday on opening day. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's better than I imagined it. To me, it's like they fixed baseball. Like everything, like the Ruggio doors of the world who have to step out of the batter's box after every pitch and readjust their cup and their both their batting gloves and take off their helmet and look at it and put it back on and then restrap their elbow pad and their shin pad and all this, that's gone. All that crap that happened in between pitches that wasn't what baseball is about, it's gone. And man, they streamlined this thing. Think about this on opening day, 11 to seven was the score. 18 combined runs, 22 combined hits. There were 11 pitching changes. They threw 335 pitches in that game, and it lasted three hours and one minute. See, that had easily been a four-hour game last Easily. I mean, th- this was – watching these guys, I mean, it, it, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible, and it's easy, and it was such an easy fix. I love it, man. I love that they banned the shift. You're seeing more balls in play. You're seeing the way to me that baseball was supposed to be. And then uh, the, the old crowd comes in and goes, well, I like my baseball the way it was. And I always bring up the stuff. I was like, okay, well, what part of baseball did you like the way it was? Because baseball has always evolved. Things have always changed in the game. Always. And they changed the pitching man in 68 because right. you know, the pitchers were too dominant. Like people get irritated about this coming in. How come nobody's pissed off that you can't have a 453-foot dead center field like you did at the polo grounds? You can't do that anymore. <laughs> Nobody's pissed off about that. Nobody's pissed off that the deepest center field now is 50 feet closer to home plate than it was at the polo grounds. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, you know, man, that's just how people are. They need something to complain about. And, uh, you know, change is hard because change is change. But man, It's not what it was. It's not what we're used to. Yeah. But I thought about it uh, last night. Well, actually, this morning I was watching some of the Rangers game from last night. And the dude, it was the eighth inning, and the dude from the uh, Phillies had thrown, like, Three straight balls. It was three zero count, I think. And at that particular time, I remember thinking, literally in my head, because he took a short walk, and he's like, and it's like he had a clock, like, oh, I got to get back and pitch. I can't take this walk around the mound and gather myself mm-hmm. and figure out. And he was back on the mound. I go, yeah, that pitch clock is sad. Yeah, that's pretty nice because I know for a fact that after throwing three straight balls, the way he threw them low and away, he'd have taken a moment to gather himself and uh, figure out what he wanted to do and do this or do that. And so I was glad to see it. 
The other thing I like about it is, you know, I may I like action. Yep. And and I think the action is coming back in the form of the stolen base mm-hmm. because I saw because I think I saw this on ESPN. I can't even remember what team, but the pitcher threw over there once through the home plate, threw over there again. And after he threw over there the second time, the dude looked at the first base coach and put up two fingers like, that's the two times he could throw over, right? I'm good, right? And Glack told him, yeah. And, dude, he took like a lead halfway to second base on the next pitch. And he was off to the races and stole the bag. And so um, I think we're going to see a lot more base stealing attempts, uh, which means, you know, either you steal it, that's an exciting play. They throw it in the center field. You get to third, that's an exciting play. Or they throw you out. And that, too, can be an exciting play. Yeah, it's wild, man. I mean, you think about it. I don't know how many people realize this, but the Rangers actually led Major League Baseball in stolen bases last year. 128 as a team. As a team. You think about that, and you think about some of those years with Vince Coleman and Ricky Henderson, where they were doing basically that by themselves. Yeah, think about it. You know, and, and, and already, the Baltimore Orioles lead the majors. They've played two games. They have 10 stolen bases in two games. <laughs> they're, they're off and running. And it's, it's, you know, it can be the great equalizer. Walk, yes. Stolen base, sacrifice, ground out. We just go to run. It's supposed to be that way, man. And, you know, one of the things I think that hurt baseball the most, because when it first started coming around, I think that everybody really embraced it and was like, okay, this is the way to do it in sabermetrics and analytics and baseball got so analytical. I mean, I remember when Chris Woodward got hired with the Rangers and we were interviewing him and we talked about this when we were doing the radio show. One of the reasons why the Rangers hired Chris Woodward was because they believed that he could interpret all the numbers that they had and express those to players of, hey, I know that you've been doing this, but analytically our computer model shows that if you do this and this then probability wise you'll be more successful and i thought like the game got away from being a game and it really almost became a computer simulation of there's so many analytics and so much that's available to these guys now that's why the shift came in the shift came in because oh well if we can do this it's like how extreme do you want it to be you got to put some parameters in there so that the game doesn't just become nothing but oh we walk off the field we watch this we analyze it so that we know our next at bat is going to be not even instinct not even talent but based on what the computer model tells us we're supposed to do yes um you know think about i mean really doc think about how many careers that the shift ruined like, it didn't help any careers, except maybe pitchers. But it ruined some hitters, man. You know, I think it ruined, it helped ruin Joey Gallo. Uh, probably helped ruin Chris Davis a little bit because those guys got to the point where, like, we can't hit anything on the ground. Everything's got to be an uppercut because if we don't hit it out, they're going, the shift is so extreme, they're going to get us out. I, th- I just think it played on their mind so much it made them much lesser players. And those are extreme examples, but I bet there's a lot of other guys you know, we talked about Seager from uh, the Rangers. How many hits he lost out on last year because yeah. of the shift? Um, you know, it helped uh, probably Houston win a championship. And so, yeah, you know, it's a good thing about baseball is they, they understood that it had gone too far and they yanked it back. It took perhaps too long, but as Mama used to say, better late than never. Yeah, and it's a much better game. It's extremely watchable. I'm going to watch some tonight of the Rangers, and it just – the flow of the game is back to the way that it had been. And so far, the returns are just fantastic. It's awesome. I really enjoyed it. It's, it's an enjoyable watch again, finally. I mean, there, there's games that are going two hours and 10 minutes, you know, that aren't scoring a ton of runs. I mean, right, that, right, that, right. Is, that is amazing for a baseball game. It's the way it should be. And I had somebody that tweeted at me and said, well, I liked it the way that it was because I like more baseball. I was like, you're getting, it's the, it's literally the exact same amount of baseball. Like the actual baseball is the same amount. It's not like they cut out outs or innings. They're not taking away. Oh, well, sorry guys. We hit 300 pitches this game. We're done. I mean, it's the same amount of baseball. They're just making it happen quicker. So they cut out all the crap, all the crap and the dead stuff where guys were just abusing. I mean, Ruggie Odor used to drive me insane. That dude alone probably extended games 20 minutes just standing at the plate readjusting everything. 
I mean, those are just, uh, I mean, I ain't mad. They're, they get on your nerves, but they're, what are they in? In essence, what are they? Idiosyncratic habits. Yeah. They're just habits that have been formed over years that you feel, I mean, it's like anything else that's OCD. You just feel uncomfortable if you can't do it. And so, you know, I, I would ex- anticipate some people struggling, man, as they try to find new routines at the plate because they've been doing this for 20 years or 15 years or as long as they've been playing and now you're telling them this is not a part of your routine can't do it anymore that, that's more than a notion imagine mike hargrove trying to get a new routine bro yeah i mean it, it's the guys who can figure that out are going to excel and the guys who can't are going to suck and that's fine <laughs> so it it's it's been a great start to the baseball season it's exciting for the rangers because again when you look at this, the Phillies are going to be a very good team. I mean, they are going to be in contention for the NL East with the Braves and the Mets. And when you look at what they have coming up, they're going to get to play Baltimore. Then they get Chicago and the Royals. I mean, we talked about this before. April is a very good opportunity for the Rangers to do some things here. Now they got to play Houston this month and they'll play the Yankees at the back part of the month, but they also get Oakland and Cincinnati who are going to be horrible. The Royals aren't any good so they, they've got an opportunity here to get off to a really good start and you know baseball is such a long season you're going to go through 20 games I mean the reality of it is when you're hot if you can if you can feed off when you're hot in baseball and you go eight and two in three stretches of the season and you're 24 and six and then you go 500 the rest of the time you're 90 and 72 for the year I mean, that's just how it is. You, you just got to, when you get hot, see if you can stretch it out for a couple of weeks, and then you'll fade back into the average of what most teams kind of are. And the teams that can have those hot stretches are the difference between playoffs and not. But so we'll what's see. The reason, what's the reason why you want, you know, the proverbial ace and you want a good bullpen? Yeah. It's because that allows you to stop the long losing streaks because you got the ace coming up every five days. We got... DeGrom coming up. Okay, we just lost three in a row. Okay, boom. Here comes DeGrom. Okay, there's a dub. And then you need that bullpen so that when he pitches seven innings and gives up one run, you don't get what happened to Otani the other day where the bullpen gives it up and you lose 2-1. And now you're losing streaks extended. So that's the – and we know what the starters look like they're going to be, but the bullpen uh, is going to be incredibly important because ain't nobody throwing complete games these days. And, uh, you know – the Rangers, uh, you know, they've started the season great. They have a chance to make this a really interesting season. And uh, let's see how it goes. Yeah. And again, a lot of that is health because, you know, you have a guy like Dane Dunning who came in yesterday. I mean, he was a starter. I, we talked about this last week. Two years ago, he was the number two starter in the rotation. And now he's a long man coming out of the bullpen. Taylor Hearn, uh, originally, they wanted to make a starter. I mean, they've got guys in the bullpen that – now they can use that have starting experience that have the capability of doing some things for longer innings because their staff when healthy is so deep so we'll see right but man it's a damn exciting start damn exciting start i'm stoked for it so we'll move on here and let's tell you about freeway tire shop jr and his crew over there we've been telling you about them for a long time man. and in reality of it is when you this maybe this is a podcast where the light goes off in your head you're like you know what i need new tires I'm going to go over to freeway where these guys keep talking about it. And then you'll be blown away and you'll message us on Instagram or Twitter or something. And be like, Holy crap. You guys were right. I love Jr. I love his guys. That shop is fantastic. The customer service is amazing. I felt comfortable because I can trust them. We found that guy for you. It's freeway tire shop. Yeah, man. And the thing about freeway tire is it's all about trust, man. Seriously. It's, it's about trust and it's, well, the thing about it with JR is I trust him to diagnose what's wrong with my car. That's number one. They're not trusting, dog. Hey, check this out, man. Use quality parts to fix what's wrong with my car. Then I trust him <laughs> to do this what, man? Charge me a fair price. Then I trust him to stand behind his work. And I like to tell you, and this real talk, you know, I'm keeping it 100 with you. If your mechanic is not doing all those things, then you need to drive right up 35 North toward Denton, get off at Commonwealth, Let's go through the light. It's on the right. It's about five minutes from downtown. Seriously. And uh, tell JR, hey, we're here. The boys from Jam Session sent you. Come take care of me. It'll be one of the best decisions you made because there's nothing worse than an unreliable car or a mechanic that you can't trust. That's exactly right. It's easy to find. It's right there. 
off 35. And of course, you can check out more information online if you so choose at freewaytireshop.com. Also, of course, and we mentioned this because it's true, you can make kind of an afternoon of it if you go and you drop your car off at Freeway. You can jump in an Uber or whatever because it's not right around the corner, but I mean, within five minutes around the corner is Smokey John's Barbecue, man. And so many of you over the last year or so have gone and experienced the Jam Session Bowl. You know what it's all about. You enjoy it. Many of you have gone multiple times because you get there and you're like, holy crap, this is amazing. And then you go back. But for those of you that somehow still have not had the opportunity, Smokey John's Barbecue, right there off Mockingbird in Dallas, in between 35 and Love Field, nestled back in that little strip center is one of the greatest barbecue places you'll come across. It's Smokey John's. Anything you get there, you're going to enjoy. But of course, we, we think you should get the Jam Session Bowl because it's fantastic. Dude, I had a business meeting at Smokey John's the other day. Oh, look at you. And... uh uh, the woman I was with, um, she was like, hey, what should I order? I go, you know, there's a secret menu. That's what I'm ordering off of. <laughs> and she looked at me. She said, wow, really? I've been here three times. and I didn't know there was a secret menu. I said, now you do. And I ordered the jam session bowl, man. Uh, I did it with uh, mashed potatoes as the base. And then I went with, y'all know I'm very predictable. I went with the sausage and the brisket as my two of my five smoked meats. And then, bro, I told them, hey. Put the chives on there, put the bacon bits on there, put the sour cream on there, put the cheese on there. You can hold that butter. Don't need that, but it's available if you want it. Uh, then I, then they brought the sauce over. I drizzled it with the sauce. Ah, it was delicious, man. I took half of it home, and it was fantastic. Um, so that's the Jam Session Bowl. It is delicious. It is to live for. And uh, the person I was with, uh, she's a big, big wig over there at SMU. She had... The rib plate, man, with greens, mashed potatoes. I mean, greens, sweet potatoes, and uh, macaroni. And it was so much on the plate, she, too, had a little bag to go home with. That's fantastic. That, I mean, just listening to you, I'm just imagining it in my mind and, and just <laughs> pantomiming, putting, just eating it and just enjoying the flavor, man. Smokey John's is awesome. It really is. Get out there and support those guys, man. They're fantastic people, fantastic food. You're going to love it. It's Smokey John's Barbecue. So the Dallas Mavericks, we, we mentioned this at the top of the podcast, talking about they, they literally are on life support. They are waiting for someone in the next four games because that's all that's left. Maybe it'll happen as we're they play this evening in Atlanta. And maybe by the time all of you are listening to this, the plug has been pulled. I don't know. They then get Sacramento, Chicago, and San Antonio at home. They need to win all four games, most likely. They are in extreme dire straits. You look at this with four games to go. They had an opportunity if they could have found a way to not let Miami score 129 points yesterday on Saturday. They had an opportunity to pull into 10th place because the Thunder lost. Now, the Thunder owned the tiebreaker, but at least they would have been tied by record. They're still a game behind the Thunder, and I believe they're two games behind the Timberwolves in the ninth spot, and Minnesota owns the tiebreaker. Both those teams own the tiebreaker on Dallas. This isn't happening, man. They're going to miss the playoffs. Bro, I told you last week it wasn't happening. <laughs> there's, there's, I'm just keeping it real with you, man. There's, um, and let me tell you why. Because I don't say, people, some people say this stuff all the time. They really do. I don't say this stuff lightly at all. Because I believe professional athletes have a lot of personal pride. Uh, and so I'm, you know, I, I give them credit for that. Um, but dude, there's so much quit in this team that they're not, they're not in position to win. And I'm basing this off of what the head coach has said over the last week or two, which is anytime you say, Hey, uh, you know, we talked about this and we talked about the importance of winning this game and starting fast. Okay. I get that. That makes sense. Okay. That sounds like the pregame speech. So it's really, to me, it's not really just about the losses because you could play a team and you can lose. It's about the fact that what, bro? They're down 44-31 after the first quarter yesterday. You gave up 44 points. You don't give a fuck. Because guess what? Miami's like the worst offensive team in the East. Yep. So you don't care. That's what it is. 
Um, when they gave up all those points the other day um, to uh, who was that they gave up all those points? I can't remember. The 76ers in the fourth quarter. That was a pretty good game. But, you know, they just they don't have the defensive care, man. Um, you know, they were down in the first quarter in the first half to the Hornets in both games. They, just, they haven't cared since that third quarter <laughs> penalty. I mean, uh, foul or mistake or whatever we're calling that thing against the Warriors, man. They haven't cared since then. Uh, when they lost that game and they sat there and whined about a third quarter call in a game where you lost by two points. So they haven't cared and uh, haven't seen any real fight in them uh, as a unit. Yeah, Luka looks like he's pulled his head out of his butt and he's playing well. But they just they don't have enough players, man. And defensively, they just don't care. No, I mean, to lose a game in which Luka goes 42-10-8. Kyrie oh, 25 g- shots or something like that. Yeah, and it, it, Kyrie gives you 23-8. and eight. Tim Hardaway gives you 31-7. and seven. And you lose because you can't play defense. You don't care to play defense. It's, I mean, this is a team that's lost 16 of their last 21 games and six hey. of their last seven, dragging ass to the finish line. It's amazing. And, you know, somebody's got to pay for this. And it seems to me like Jason Kidd's got to be the guy because whatever he's been preaching, they've tuned it out as a team. And, I mean, they're not responding at all. Again, if you're losing these games in the fourth quarter, I get it. But these games are lost in the first quarter, man. And um, there's, I mean, they're just lost because you come out with this lazy, fair attitude. Against Charlotte, you're down 30 to 16 after the first quarter the other day. Like, what are you doing, man? Charlotte's not even good. And, uh, and you're down. In the game before that, they were down, you know, big um, 37-26. Again, these are bad offensive teams that they're giving this up to. This is not, you know, the Celtics or somebody else who can play offensive basketball. These are bad teams, which means you don't care. Yeah, it's for a team. It's one thing I never thought, and I mentioned this the other day, I I never thought Luka Doncic Mavericks, barring him being injured for the season, would miss the playoffs completely. And the fact that Luka and Kyrie Irving on the same team are going to miss the playoffs. This is bad, man, because this is a type of season that makes me think that he's going to KD this thing, play out the end of this contract, and then bounce and go somewhere else. Well, let me, tell you, let me just tell you this, Doug, and this is just the reality of the world that we live in. Um, he don't have to play out this contract. No, this he doesn't. NBA. He doesn't. This yeah. is the NBA. I'm tired of this shit. Y'all need to, y'all need to do something. Y'all need to move me. Uh, I'm not saying he will do that. I'm not saying he's at that point, but that's an option. You know, this is the NBA where the players run the game. So <laughs> look at Kyrie. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, pick a guy. Look at Kevin Durant. Pick an NBA star, superstar. Now, if you're a regular dude, you just got to get in where you fit in. But NBA star, they only play where they feel like playing, bro. Yeah. And that's where. This is going to get interesting because it, it, the whole thing with Kyrie, what this team's going to look like next year, is Luca going to want Jason Kidd to stay, or if they come to him, it's right. like, look, we got to make, we, we're making this move. Is he going to who who's going to come in? It's stunning, man. I mean, it is it is stunning to think that this team, who overachieved last year, made a run to the conference finals, is going to miss the playoffs completely. That is right. sad. That is, it, 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 that should never happen. That should never happen. Nope. That's why somebody's got to pay. You just can't say, hey, it's just a bad year. We're going to run it back. Somebody's got to pay. Jason Kidd, Nico, you know, whoever. Somebody's got to pay. Uh, because um, this, I mean, this is. <laughs> it's stunning. This it's is, stunning. Yeah. Yeah, stunning is the right word. I mean, it's one thing to be the 2007 Dallas Mavericks and you're the one seed in the NBA playoffs and you get knocked off by the eight seed Golden State. You know, you're in the playoffs. You had a great regular season, but Golden State just knew you. And 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 we all kind of figured, oh, this is a horrible matchup. And you get stunned. And Dirk's got to accept the MVP of the year award. And they're not even in the playoffs anymore. You know, right, right. That was stunning back then. This is this is more. I mean, you're not even... How in the world you don't make the playoffs and you have Luka Doncic on your team? It's unbelievable. 
So it, uh, I, I cannot believe it. And I'm going to have to believe it because next week at this time, we'll be talking about this and we'll be talking about what will they do in the offseason because it has begun for the Dallas Mavericks. And how do you do it in a year where only two teams don't make the playoffs? I mean, it's unbelievable, man. Dude, it's... I mean, it, they, it, it, it's... I'm going to be very curious to see what they do this offseason, how they address all this, because they don't have the answers. And the season finale is one, one week from, as we record this today on, on April 2nd, the season finale is April 9th, and that's it. <laughs> and then they're done. They will not be playing into April, essentially. They will not be playing in May. Right, because, you know, I'm just again, I'm just keeping it real. Like, we could talk about, well... If they win their last three, they can do this. And, you know, Oklahoma City's got this. And Dude, what is giving us any indication they can win any games? I know. I mean, I, I expect that they'll go out and lose to Atlanta on Sunday afternoon. And, and that legitimately just might be the end. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if they lose their last four games. Well, because once if you think they don't care now, <laughs> if one of the other teams wins a couple games, you think they're going to care more? No, they're going to care less. Yeah. I would uh, I would love to know because I would love to know the dynamics going on, you know, because the the lack of defense is so much just an effort thing. Just like how do those guys? What's a film session like? How do those guys put up with? I mean, it's, I don't know, bro. And it's amazing because uh, you know Jason Kidd had the defense so much improved last year. Uh, but you yeah. lose Finney Smith. You know, Reggie Bullock hasn't played good this year. Um, you know, they didn't have a rim protector last year, and they were better at defense than they are now. So I don't know, bro. It's a lot of moving parts over there. Yeah, they got a lot to figure out in the offseason, which is going to begin in one week. So kick ass, Mavs. Way to go. <laughs> so let's, let's roll around the block here because we got a couple of things. First off, I saw this, and this is just, it's, it's wild because they've been there in that area so long. But Matt's Rancho Martinez, which is, in my opinion, one of the best Tex-Mex places in DFW. Matt's Rancho Martinez is closing in Lakewood after a 34-year run in East Dallas. As we record this, by the time you listen to this, they will no longer be operating in that location that's right there off of Skillman in Lakewood. They've been in that spot since, I want to say, like 2013, 2010. But they've been in the Lakewood, East Dallas area since 1989. And they are closing and pulling out of East Dallas. And it's interesting. I mean, it makes sense because it's owned by Nicholas Martinez now. I mean, this has been... For those that don't know Matt Rancho Martinez, I mean, this is one that's a family Tex-Mex restaurant that's been around since like the 1920s. Like this is an old school, like all the way back, like with El Chico as some of the oldest Tex-Mex places in Dallas. And so it's wild, man, because they're closing this. And the reason why is he says, we're just trying to get out of leases and more so invest in our business in buildings that they can own. And so they recently purchased property in Allen and opened a location there. And they also have one out in Royce City where they own the location. And they even say that if there was an opportunity in Lakewood to buy a property, that they would bring the restaurant back to that area since they're so well known and loved and they've been functioning in that area for 34 years. You know, no, man, if you don't make dollars, it don't make sense. Yeah. As a famous cornerback once said. And I think that's the I think that's the whole thing, you know. Uh, people with property want that passive income to come in month after month, year after year. They're not about to sell you that building, um, you know. And I can see why they would be like, "Hey, man, people charge people when people have a a nice part of town like that is, you know, the rent's just crazy every year because they can because somebody else will pay it." Yeah, that's very true, man. I didn't even realize they had opened one out in Roy City. I mean, I may have to go out there again next time I'm in town because that's not too far, obviously, from where my parents live. And I'm a big Matt's Rancho Martinez fan. I used to go there. There used to be one in Garland over there off of Bush and like Naaman Forest in North Garland. And I used to go over there because I used to live over there. And I was a big fan of Matt's Rancho Martinez. But that place closed. That's too bad. I wish I had uh, see like I had never heard of it. But then why hadn't I heard of it? Because it's you just named a place in Garland over there by naming Forest, which is like two countries away from me. Yeah. Uh, when I was living in DeSoto, 
And then, um, you know, what's the other place? Roy City. I've never gone. Yeah, you're never going out to Roy City. Unless I'm headed out of town. Yeah, and then now Um, one being just opened in Allen. They used to be, there used to be like five or six of them that were more centrally located. But obviously in the last few years, they've downsized. And now Allen and Roy City are the only two in existence. But if you live in the Allen or Roy City area, Matt's is, they're quality, man. That is a damn good Tex-Mex restaurant. I'm a big fan of them. What was your go-to, if you remember? Uh, we always got the fajitas, as I recall. I was a big fan of their fajitas. How do you go wrong with fajitas? Yeah, they got good queso. I mean, I know this is weird, but certain places have really good chips, and other ones not so much. They had good chips. Uh, ain't nothing weird about that, man. As a former yeah. fat guy, I, I judge the restaurant based on the chips. Yeah, man, you know, they're... they're Some of them are too thin. Yep. You know, I don't like thin because it makes it hard to get the, the queso on there or whatever. Their Mexican rice was really good, you know, so it's just all around. It's just a solid place. But, I mean, like to your point, one of the reasons, again, I mean, I lived in apartments that were probably a mile away from that Garland location, which is part of the reason why we used to go over there quite often. Right. And so, like you're saying, I mean, there's so much good Tex-Mex in the DFW area. It's not like you have to go out of your way to find it. Right. Exactly. So it's a little different when you live in Birmingham, Alabama. There's, there's, there is no Tex-Mex here. I mean, there's a Chewy's here. That don't count. But Chewy's, I mean, mean, years ago, the original place in Austin was badass, but they sold out long time ago and it's not what it once was in my opinion. And then there's one place here that we discovered that's pretty solid. They're, they're good. And it's funny because I've got some buddies and I'm like, man, I got to take y'all to Texas so that you, because they think this is amazing. I'm like, it's good. They're like, oh, come on, this is awesome. I was like, I mean, I, it's not awesome. <laughs> I was like, I need to take you to Texas. Then we'll right. go eat at Tex-Mex places. And you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like, yeah, it's just different. But it's solid. Right, I mean, right, it's right. good. You know, I, I enjoy it. I can eat there and enjoy it. The okay. other thing, I thought this was interesting because you sent me this article from Esquire. So we're, we're the first quarter is down because we are already into April, three months in the books. And Esquire put out an article, the 10 best TV shows of 2023 so far. And it's interesting because a couple of these I've never even heard of. Dude, I hadn't heard out of most of them. That's why I sent it to you. I've watched a few of them, but Succession, which is on HBO and is in the final season, season four of that. That's on the list. And I've heard so much about Succession. I mean, this is a show that I think has won two or three times in a row for best drama at the primetime Emmys. Right. I've never watched it. I watched the trailer and I'm like, I, it just, I don't know. It's about a bunch of rich people because this dude who uh, he, he essentially, I, it, it kind of strikes me like he's, you know, like Ted Turner or somebody where he's a media mogul. And as he gets older, he's trying to figure out, is he selling the business? Who's going to get it? All this type of stuff. And it's all of his kids underneath him in this TV family. And I've seen the trailer and I'm like, why do I want to watch the, like a show with the problems of all these rich people? <laughs> Here's why. Because it's, let me see. It's not necessarily that you're watching for the problems of the rich people. It's more like you're looking at how Weasley these people operate, and then you're pegging them as, as other people that you know. Yeah. Like, this guy's Mike Fisher, da-da-da-da-da. He operates like that. Or this guy's somebody else you don't like. Or this guy's somebody else you don't respect. Or this woman reminds you of this or that. That's how you get in. It's a, it's a show that you sit around and talk about with your significant other, about the messiness of the show and the characters. Yeah, and at some point, and I got to give somebody it- did that to you? Yeah, and I got to give it a shot because any show that's won multiple Emmys for best drama, it's got to be quality. At some point, I got to give it a shot. The Last of Us is on here, and we've talked about that show that was on HBO Max. I thought it was fantastic. Really, really enjoyed it. They wrapped up season one a couple of weeks back. The Lying Life of Adults. I've never heard of this until this article. It's on Netflix, apparently, and is a six-episode miniseries adapted from a novel from an author known as Elena Ferrante. All right. And I I don't know. It looks, maybe I'll watch the trailer and see if there's any appeal to it. I don't know. Another show from Netflix called Beef, which I've also never heard of. And it's Stephen Yin <laughs> and Ali Wong that star in it. And it's a collection of 30-minute dramedy episodes, which is a drama comedy Follow two people who let a road rage incident burrow into their minds and slowly consume their every thought and action. 
Okay. Hmm. Right, right, right. That, that, that might be interesting. What's really interesting and makes me wonder about the quality of the person who wrote this article is you season four is on here. And I already told you how I thought it was trash and I'll never Dude, watch it again. I've, uh, <laughs> I've read like three things since then to say, oh, what a compelling series you has been. I was be like, no, nah, my boy said this last no. series was trash. And I thought season two was shady. Yeah. And I've, I've had when I put that out on Twitter and several people are like, oh, I'll totally agree with you. Like this show has gone off the rails. I'm like, that's what I'm saying. I don't understand where these people think this is good. <laughs> Now, another show, and I do want to watch this, and we're, we're actually, this is on the list because we don't have Apple TV right now. We're waiting for Ted Lasso to build up enough episodes where we can watch a few at a time, and then we're going to right, get right. Apple TV. But Shrinking, which is on Apple TV, stars Harrison Ford and Jason Segel, and it's a psychotherapy comedy where Harrison Ford plays this psychotherapist who's a legend who would rather work then receive all these lifetime achievement awards. And apparently I've heard from multiple people that this is very, very good. And Siegel and Ford are phenomenal in it. And it's one, it's a comedy. So I think they're like 20, you know, 25, 30 minute episodes. Oh, yeah, I get that. Uh, yeah. Sounds interesting. It's, but it doesn't sound interesting enough for me to catapult it somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I'll check it out eventually. Another one on here is Star Trek Picard, which season three is, I guess, the final season of Picard. And you got to be into Star Trek to get into this. And I, I used to watch The Next Generation. I watch all the Star Trek movies. And it's kind of made me curious, this Picard series. Like, I wouldn't mind getting back into this. This is a Paramount Plus show. And the third season reunites Jean-Luc Picard with his Enterprise castmates, all the people that were you know, a part of that crew from the next generation. So if you're into that, I think you got to really be into Star Trek to go out on this limb. Yeah, I mean, that's heavy duty Star Trek people right there. But as this guy says, this is some of the best science fiction you'll find on television today. So if you're into that, you got that. Abbott Elementary, which I've heard of, and I, I think it, it won like best comedy series, is uh, 22 minutes. It's on network television, I believe. And it's a, as you might imagine, it, it's a schoolhouse sitcom that I have heard is very funny, but I watched a trailer for that and I was like, meh. Dude, I just, uh, I might watch it because uh, my guy from uh, Everybody Loves Chris is uh, one of the stars of that show. Yeah. I think he just picked up an Emmy for that show. Uh, and I like him, so it'd be interesting to see if he can pull off the new character and avoid being typecast. But uh, aside from that, man, y'all know me. I just can't get into network TV, man. I'm I can't sorry. either. That's my, I, I, I just can't do it. Like, I just, like, I just can't do it, man. Like, whatever happens, whatever funny show is on ABC, CBS, NBC, it's going to be something funnier on Netflix or whatever because it's going to be more real because you can talk and act like real people as opposed to the homogenized sitcoms we get. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, I, I'm the same Where, way as you, man. In a normal situation, oh, fuck. That's a normal situation where you say that. Yeah. Oh, fiddlesticks. Yeah, they say something silly, yeah. It's just like, stop. (laughs) I completely agree with you, man. I mean, I I just, I I don't know. It's it's really hard for me to get into network television. And some of the best network shows... I'm like, man, this is good, but this would be way better on Netflix or or a cable provider. Bro, I do that all the time. All the time. (laughs) So another show that's on here is on FX called Great Expectations, which, I mean, we've all at some point in life probably had to read the book, the Charles Dickens tale, a classic. And and this is another take on Great Expectations. And then the final show, and I've actually heard of this. It's on Peacock, and I heard it was good. And this is Natasha Lyonne, who is in a show called Poker Face. Yeah, what's that about? Is that about actual poker? Yeah, I think she is like a gambler or something like that. It's a, let's see, she has the extraordinary ability to determine when someone is lying. She hits the road and with every stop encounters a new cast of characters and strange crimes she can't help but solve because she can read people's faces. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. But those are the 10 best shows so far, we say. All right. That's what they say. That's what they say. I don't know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a show watcher, and, and some of those I, I don't think I want to ever check out. 
just being honest. <laughs> so I don't know, man. We'll see. That's what they say. That's we we enjoy shows. We just finished the Night Agent on Netflix, and it was solid. And it has that network TV cheese to it, but there's enough real things that happen to to keep you into it. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. And it was solid. It, it it's a solid mystery with some good twists and all that and that kind of espionage almost like a jack ryan type vibe to it but not as good as jack ryan right 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 so it's that type of thing so before we wrap this up the college basketball championships are happening and of course by the time all of you listen to this we will already know who will be the surprise women's national champion because Iowa and Caitlin Clark stunned undefeated South Carolina and knocked them out in the final four. And they will meet the LSU women who Kim Mulkey dominates at Baylor. The LSU job comes open. She's from Louisiana. It's her dream gig. She leaves Baylor to go to LSU. And in the second season she is there has LSU playing for a national championship. Uh, yeah, I ain't mad at it, but I can't root for her. I don't like the way she handled that whole Brittany Griner thing after all the stuff Brittany Griner helped her achieve. So I have my, I never thought I'd say this, I have my Iowa hat on, Rudy. Well, there you go. And Caitlin Clark, but for those that don't know, back-to-back 40-point games is this oh, dominant presence who's just unstoppable. She's like the, the shack of women's basketball, apparently. Uh, I would say more like the Steph Curry uh, because she will, she will pull up from the logo and splash it on you. Well, there you go. Um, um, you know, but, and this is what happens, man. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put it out there, bro. Cause we do it. We, I mean, man, I don't know, man. We do it in a lot of sports. Caitlin Clark is what, man? She's having a fantastic tournament. She's become a household name. She's only a junior. She got to go back to school. The way the WNBA rules are written, she's gonna make so much NIL money next year. It's ridiculous. But check this out, bro. I've heard credible people, like my man Jeff Perlman. She's the best women's college basketball player ever. Like, are y'all drunk? <laughs> like, really? Are y'all drunk? What about Cheryl Swoops, man? She was only 30 years ago. Yeah, she's pretty damn or, good. Or Cheryl Miller. Candace Parker. <laughs> Candace Parker. How about Maya Moore? Now, and this is not from a guy who follows all this college basketball. This is off the top of my head. Um... Uh, you know, and we haven't even mentioned who, man, the GOAT. Who's the GOAT? Nancy Lieberman. Yeah, Lieberman. <laughs> so let's not be prisoners of the moment. And, uh, you know, I mean, she, is she one of the best ever? Absolutely. But, you know, you know, Shamika Holdsquaw, dude, there's been Cynthia Cooper. There's been a lot of really great women's basketball players. The problem is there haven't been enough of them to spread around to enough yeah. teams to make a league good. Now they're finally getting to that point. So let's give her her hand claps, but let's not go over the top, man, just because a lot of people haven't watched college, women's college basketball ever, and now they're like, oh, it's a big deal. She's fantastic. She's the best ever. No, she's just one of the outstanding players, just like when we find a dude who's there. We don't immediately say, oh, that dude's better than Jordan and LeBron. Yeah. And so, yeah, I will say the cool thing is, you know, LSU women hadn't been in the Final Four since 08, so it had been 15 years. The Iowa women hadn't been since 1993, so 30 years. And neither one of them has ever won a national title in women's basketball. So we will get, because we're so used to in women's basketball, it's Connecticut, it's Tennessee, it's South Carolina, it's Baylor. Yeah, every team has their run. I think it's cool that we're going to get a brand new champion, a first-time ever champion in women's basketball, which is kind of neat. And why are we getting that? Because there's more good players now. Yeah. So you can spread them around to more teams. I mean. You know, that's why you, That's why this tournament was full of teams doing first-time things they'd never done, like Virginia Tech, you know, in the Final Four for the first time ever. And, you know, Ohio State getting to the Elite Eight for maybe the first time in 30-something years because more teams have more good players. And so it's not just the same old five teams winning. It's true. And so – We'll see again by the time you guys listen to this. We'll know if it was Iowa or LSU as a champion. But coming up tonight, as most of you will listen to this on Monday, Monday night, the men's national championship in both of those games on Saturday went exactly how I thought they would. San Diego State and Florida Atlantic, I thought was a coin flip. I had as just flip a coin, whatever side it lands on. That's the team that's going to win. Florida Atlantic had the game. 
that dude goes down and fortunately misses the shot and San Diego State gets the rebound and that kid I mean what a clutch from the wing 15 foot swishes a jumper the ball's in the air as the clock goes off and San Diego State hits it to win by one and play for a national title what a game that was now uh, I was gonna say I, I uh, that matchup didn't excite me and so I kept a, I kept a look at the score and then with about four or five minutes left, I turned it on, and uh, it was okay through the end of that. Uh, it was a, obviously, it was an exciting finish, but uh, I, th- I thought it was a, a really good game, and uh, I do like the new blood. I'm always a new blood guy, you know, because it's such an experience, such an experience for those cats when they win it or when they get to compete for that. Uh, you know, it's you know at Duke, you go in expecting to do it three or four times in your career. At a place like Florida Atlantic, you're like, if it happens. God, we're, we're gods on campus for, for life. Yeah. Just like San Diego State. I mean, who in the yeah. world ever thought they'd do anything? And so now the other one, UConn and Miami, UConn's just a better basketball team. And, and they, they, that's the problem is that there's no one left in, in the Final Four that can, because UConn, like with Miami, same as Gonzaga. Okay, you want to run up and down the floor? We can play offense. Problem is we're way better defensively than you are. And Miami tried and tried and tried to get into that game and never really could. I mean, at one point, they were down by like 20 points. I thought, I thought UConn w- would win around 15 points. They won by 13. Miami just, they couldn't overcome the fact that Connecticut's just a better team than them. No. And, uh, you know, Dan Hurley's been pretty adamant about talking about how unique his team is and, and how they're just a difficult opponent first time you see him. And in the tournament, that's all you're getting, first-time matchups. Um, my only concern, and this is just my own personal deal, is you got two elite defensive teams going at it. Is it going to be, you know, 42 to 40? <laughs> I don't think it'll be that bad. But it might be low. It, it might be low 60s because San Diego State is an elite defensive team. UConn is, you know, top 12 defensively. The thing of it is, is San Diego State's offense is nowhere near what Connecticut can do offensively. And this, again, I mean, UConn's gone out in this tournament and won every game by double digits and has obliterated some of the opposition. They are a, they are a much better team overall than San Diego State. Now, that being said, we saw how San Diego State frustrated Alabama when they played in the Sweet 16. If San Diego State can frustrate Connecticut a little bit, then they can hang around in this thing and give themselves a shot. We'll see. But what's wild about this is and I don't know why, but we like when we name the blue bloods of college basketball, we never think about UConn, I don't feel like. And I, I wonder if it's because, I mean, reality of it is UConn is the best program of the last 30 years in college basketball. They are. If they win on Monday night, they will have five titles since 1999. No one else can get anywhere near that. You know, you look at it, UCLA, who is, who's an old school blue blood. They haven't won a title since 95. Kentucky has won two since 98. North Carolina, they've got three since 99. Duke, who won in 91 and 92, has three since 99. Indiana, which I think a lot of people still consider a blue blood, they haven't won anything since 1987. And then you got UConn, who won in 99, 04, 11, 2014, and maybe again in 2023. Yeah, they're they're interesting. I mean, obviously, they... Like, I was trying to look it up right quick. Like, I think people don't do that because they had a stretch where they were bad for a minute. Not yeah, just they for, were, yeah. Not for an off year, but bad. And, you know, that's, that's what we end up with this conversation about. Does having the most titles make you the best program? Or, um, you know, or does consistent winning make you the best program? Uh, or, obviously, you want some combination of the two. But, um, you know, they are, uh, I think for a while they were synonymous with, with the other programs. Then when did they fall off, bro? Like between 14 and. Yeah, when Calhoun left, they dropped off for a while. Well, I guess between. So Calhoun left in 14 because I actually covered that game. And so from 15 to 22, they never, they got out of the first round once. Yeah. And they missed the tournament, shit, 
like seven out of 10 years. Yeah, because Ke- Kevin Ollie, what, what's wild about that though is because Kevin Ollie took over. So Calhoun left in 2012. Kevin Ollie comes in and his second year, they win the national championship. Right. And then the very next year, they missed the tournament completely. And then they, they went they through the, the last two years of Kevin Ollie and the first two years of Dan Hurley. They didn't make the tournament at all. And now Hurley right. has made it three consecutive years in a row and is turning them back into what they were. And obviously is is potentially going to play and win the national championship against San Diego State on Monday. I mean, it, it's an interesting program because you look at some of these other like Duke and North Carolina. They've been a bunch of final fours. Well, right. Connecticut's only been to six. The thing of it is, if they win tomorrow on Monday night, they've won five titles and only six trips to the Final Four. See, to me, but see, that's where we get it. Like, Duke's a better program to me, but because Duke's probably been to 12 Final Fours in its stretch. But they're the New York Giants. When they go, they win. They don't go every year, yeah. but when they go, they win. And if you're a fan of theirs, you're just like, oh, we suffer through the bad times or whatever. But when they go, we're going to make a deep run because we have that kind of team. So Yeah. I think you're happy with either program. Uh, one day, you know, my program was always a uh, Elite Eight program. We win a bunch of games, and we get to the Elite Eight, and, and, you know, every now and then we get to the Final Four. Yeah, it's wild, man. I mean, if, if UConn does this, then only three programs in college basketball history will have won more titles than Connecticut, and that would be North Carolina with six, Kentucky has the eight, of course, and UCLA with their eleven. Because Duke, right? and, yeah, Duke and Indiana both have five, and if UConn wins, they'll have five. Kansas only has four. Really? Yeah. You see, and that's the thing. Like Kansas only has four. Yet in our minds, it feels like Kansas is like Kentucky, where they've got like eight or nine titles. Yeah. Well, see, that's because they're going a lot. They're just not winning it. It's weird, man. No, well, that's uh, there's there's some good factoids for you today. I bet y'all didn't know that. Yeah, and the fact that. At UConn, they've done it with the variety of different coaches that they've done it with. Because yeah. obviously Calhoun won three. And then this would make it to where you've got Kevin Ollie won one. And now Dan Hurley could win one. I mean, three different coaches winning a title. Because the other programs, it's like, oh, well, yeah, Coach K won a few titles. And then, of course, you know, even at Kentucky, Rupp won four of those titles. Wooden won 10 of the 11 UCLA titles. I mean, it's right, right. It's interesting, man. No, I get it. You get no argument from me. We'll see how it turns out and then rolling in. And if San Diego State wins, man, that that would be. That would be great. That would be the most improbable champion probably since, what was it, 86 when Villanova or 85 when Villanova originally won? Uh, Yeah. An extremely improbable champion. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Was Butler an extremely improbable champion? Well, they didn't win. Oh, well, so they yeah, lost they two years been. in a row in the title game. Yeah, they would have been by far they, the most. They would have been, but they weren't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or maybe like a, a North Carolina State in 83 when they took down Fi Slam Ajama, and, and that was such a, a, right. a, a stunning win. Shit, that's been 40 years, bro. Yeah, it's a long time ago, man. Because yeah, I'm just looking. I called my. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I just. It, it's, it's wild to think. I mean, San Diego State, no. God, what if they win? It would be the crazy. They might be the most unlikely champion of all time. Because they play defense, they have a shot. Yeah, because they can keep uh, themselves in games. Right. Um, like I said, I called my team Elite Eight University because we used to get there all the time. Dude, we haven't been to the Elite Eight since uh, 2013. Yeah, it's been a while for you guys, man. What happens is we get to the second round a lot, and then we lose. Second round in 14, third round in 15, second round in 18, second round in 19, second round this year. So we're a second round team. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't know. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's wild to think like some of these schools, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I never in a million years would have thought a team like a San Diego state, you just never do it. I mean, they, they've obviously, they'd never even made the elite eight in the history of their program. And here they are playing for the national championship. No, 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 bro. It's you're, that's how it you're exactly right. No, that's what happens. Yeah. We'll see, man. We'll see. You know, like that's the thing is like, like to your point, so like Texas tech making it, was nuts that they played for a national title. And, and Butler obviously would have been an extraordinarily improbable champion, but they couldn't get it done. And we've seen some teams from time to time that kind of wind up in the final four, obviously, or even in the title game, but they can't find a way to overcome the better teams. No, I'm with, I'm with you on that. So we'll see. And, cause, and that's, you know, that's what it boils down to ultimately. 
Monday night, we may see something we've never seen before, or we may have wondering, is, is UConn with their fifth title in, oh my God, since 99? What is that, 24 years, 23 years, whatever it's been? Five titles in 24 years? That's, that's not bad at all. It's bro. pretty damn good if you're a UConn fan, man. And that's the, that's the men doing it. That man said the men. Oh, the women you kind of expected, but right. the men getting it done. Hell yeah. And that, my friends, is a podcast for you. Everybody have a fantastic week. We'll see what happens. Who knows what will happen in the next 48 hours by the time we get together to do this again. But glad that you guys are here. Appreciate you listening. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.